Uh, hey, first off, it's great to be back. Um, you know, gone for the last four weeks. Uh, and uh, it was a great time being on sabbatical. Uh, I would say this just real quick. If anybody's still kind of maybe confused at what sabbatical is or what the intention behind it, uh, if you haven't yet, I would encourage you to listen to the podcast from this last week. Uh, we sat down and we talked through a little bit of that, what a sabbatical is, you know, what it's for, why it's important, you know, necessary. Uh, just to put it out there real quick, I know it's already been... Um, covered. But again, just if there's any uh, still confusion with it, uh, I wasn't gone for four weeks because I was in trouble. Uh, I didn't get reprimanded. I, I, was, I didn't have a mental breakdown uh, or nothing like that. There was no like, oh my gosh, we have to send him away for four weeks uh, for whatever. Uh, so, and actually listen to the podcast, and I'm not going to go into it now, but sabbaticals are actually things that uh, the church should actually seek for, long for, for their leaders. Uh, it's things that uh, are actually necessary. Um, and we talk about that and we talk through that a little bit. But again, please don't, you know, I know Pastor Matt came back and kind of explained like, hey, don't look at that as like this horrible negative thing. Um, but I appreciate any and all prayers during that time. Those that lifted myself and my family up, uh, it was very much appreciated and it is great to be back. So with that, let's jump into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, as we jump into that, you can turn there in your Bibles. Uh, we're going to go through the entire chapter. Uh, well, I'm not going to go uh, read it in its entirety. It would just take too much time. Uh, we're going to hit on a few things, but I, I want to give us some foundational stuff as we uh, get to where we're going to talk about specifically with this chapter. And uh, it's going to relate and start with, with the thought process that Pastor Matt was sharing last week as Paul continues with what he's sharing with the church. And last week, Pastor Matt spent some time talking about how, how Paul was presenting this fact that we as Christians are all builders. We're called to build. Uh, we're called to do something and we're called to a specific responsibility and a mission with our lives that we now have in Jesus. When Jesus saved us, when he transformed us, when he made us new, uh, we have have giftings and we have talents and he's, and he's given us abilities and he's given us a calling and we're called to take this life and we're called to build something with it. We have a responsibility with this life and, and there's going to come a day where we're going to stand before Jesus and, and we're all going to be judged, uh, not based on our salvation. So anybody that is in Christ, this judgment is not going to be, are you saved? Are you not saved? But this judgment is going to be, what did you do with the salvation that I gave you? Right, what did you do with the, the life that I gave you? What did you build? And, and that was something Pastor Matt processed through with you guys last week. And Paul is continuing that thought process as what we're going to look at today. And, and so uh, what I want us to all agree upon and understand as we begin is this. There is, and this is kind of a, a foundational statement to what we're going to talk about this morning. There is... Real opposition that is coming against us constantly that has the primary mission to destroy that which God wants to build. Now, think about that. Just hear what I'm saying. That there is opposition that is coming against us. Real opposition that is coming against us constantly. It never relents. It never takes a vacation. There is real opposition that is coming against us constantly with the primary mission to destroy that which God wants to build. 
So last week, Paul was talking about that we are building this life that God has given to us. We are responsible for building. And in fact, in chapter 3, Paul says things like this. He says, you are God's temple. You are God's building. You are God's field. Right? These are all things that God is investing in. All things that God is, is building within. And this opposition wants to destroy God's temple. This opposition wants to destroy God's building. It wants to destroy God's field. See, uh, we have to understand that this opposition, our enemy, wants to destroy us as individuals. But by destroying us as individuals, this opposition also wants to destroy us as a church, corporately. It wants to destroy the building of God, the temple of God, the field of God, which is the church of God. See, this opposition, our enemy, is on mission to destroy everything which Jesus loves and everything that Jesus gave himself up for, which scripture is clear, that is the church. Jesus gave himself up, not just for us as individuals, But as us, as the body of Christ, the church of Christ, the gathering together, the called out ones, the saints that he has brought together, our enemy wants to destroy that. See, Satan, uh, our enemy, literally hates Blessed Hope Community Church. Do you ever really stop to think about that? That he hates the existence of this church. He hates that you are part of it. He hates... Our mission, he hates our worship, he hates our service, he despises every aspect of this church. Now, here's the thing that doesn't make us special. In fact, our enemy hates every single local congregation that has ever existed that has the mission to proclaim and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as a church that wants to be on mission for Jesus, as a church that wants to be fulfilling the mission of Christ and reaching the lost and and discipling one another and growing in our faith and glorifying Christ as as Lord of all and King of kings and, and teaching Scripture and standing upon Scripture, as a church that wants to do that and a church that strives for that, our enemy, our opposition hates our very existence and has the desire to destroy us. You ever stopped and thought about that? That not only does he want to destroy you and your marriage and your family, anything that brings glory to Christ, he wants to destroy the church. And this is something that we have to understand because a lot of times we live our lives without really thinking about this uh, reality. In in fact, it was kind of interesting. I was uh, kind of thinking about this in between services. Uh, I I like to watch documentaries at time, and I just actually watched one. um, It's kind of a morbid thing to be watching about, but I watched that documentary on uh, Netflix about the Night Stalker. And those of you that are old enough will remember the Night Stalker. You know, this is back in the 80s, uh, back in, you know, over in California. And I was really young when this was happening, but I actually remember being very young when the Night Stalker was, you know, on TV and this stuff that was going on with that, uh, because I remember, I still remember this as even as a child, very vividly, 
Uh, one of the reasons the night stalker was so terrifying and, and was doing the things that he was doing in California is because it was a time in, in, in the world, it was, time, it was a time in our nation where like, nobody locked their doors, right? Like windows were just left open. And, and this individual was able to get access into people's homes because there was this, this idea of there's no, you know, nobody was really taking into account the dangers that existed around them. And I share that because it, it kind of makes me think even again about this enemy that's against us and how many times we live our lives. I do this. We live our lives and we, and we function as a church and we don't really take serious this enemy that's around us all the time that's trying to destroy us. Whether we see it or not, he is actively trying to destroy us. And, and again, he never relents. He never stops. See, Paul has been addressing, so up until now in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been addressing and he's been hitting on divisions in the church. He's been challenging this church on ways that they were divided against one another. And he's going to continue that. Uh, even in chapter 4, we're still going to be talking about that, but he's going to take it up a level, I believe. He's going to take it to the next level on what's happening, and he's going to challenge them to say, hey, you don't realize, but you're actually destroying yourselves. See, in, in, in any church, it's natural. This, this is a natural occurrence in any church. It doesn't matter how spiritual the church is. It doesn't matter how Christ-like the church is. This, this is going to happen in every church. There's naturally going to be disagreements. Naturally. It doesn't matter how many people you get together. It could be five people. It could be 500 people. There's going to be disagreements. See, there's going to be differences of opinions. There's going to be different points of view, right? Because we all naturally bring our own tendencies to the table. We bring our own preferences to the table. We bring our own conclusions to certain things to the table. So there's always going to be disagreements, right? I'm not talking about disagreements about core doctrine and those things, even though sometimes there might be those conversations where people are still learning and trying to figure things out. What I'm talking about is just those, those moments of maybe decisions that are made and a direction that the church is going or, or big, big choices that are made. And, and, and there's not everybody 100% of the time is going to fully agree on it. Some people are going to say, I see it a little bit different. I have a disagreement in the choice that was made. My point of view is a little bit different than everybody else's that's natural and that's going to happen. That's not division. That's just us collectively working together to do the work that God has called us to do. But see, the issue is when disagreements and differences of opinion and different views actually become things that fracture us as a church and what ends up happening when these disagreements come, when we don't see eye to eye, when we don't all agree with every decision and every choice, and we don't all agree with what leadership is wanting to do, and those moments will happen. What, what the problem is, is when those disagreements come and they actually fracture us, and what ends up happening is the church, instead of being unified, actually ends up fighting with one another. What you end up having is Christians inside of the church battling and fighting one another. Here's why that's so dangerous, because our enemy, remember we have a real enemy that wants to destroy us. Our enemy knows 
And this is one of his number one, I believe, number one schemes that he uses against the church and what he uses against us as Christians. He knows that if he can get us fighting amongst ourselves, we'll be too busy to fight against him. I didn't uh, pull it up and show it, and I don't know if I've ever showed it before, but I know I have at Celebrate Recovery when we were, were doing that. Um, but there's a video, maybe you've seen it, but there's a video of two like antelope out in the, you know, the field, and they're fighting one another. And there's this, you know, they're setting their button heads and they're just fighting like crazy. And in the distance, you actually see it coming from, I mean, a long ways off, but you start seeing it running straight towards the camera. All of a sudden, there's this lion running full speed at those two antelope. And as they're button heads and they're fighting with one another and they're not paying attention, and before it's too late, there's a split second, split second, when both of those animals see that lion. And there's a split second where they both turn to try to run and that lion hits and takes out one of them just like that. And every time I see that, it makes me think of scripture when scripture tells us that our enemy is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he knows that the easiest prey is when he can find Christians in a church that is busy fighting one another because they're not paying attention to the way that he's going to try to destroy the church. See, he knows that if we fight one another, the building that God wants to create, the building that God wants to do, all of that stops because we're busy fighting. We're not building the things that God wants us to build. In fact, when churches and Christians end up fighting amongst themselves, we actually start tearing down the very structure that God has been attempting to build. And he knows this. See, I think the thing we as Christians and leaders, and and here's the thing, anybody, all of us that are part of the church, we have to realize that a lot of times we think that our destruction is going to come from the outside, right? We're always worried about what's outside and how it's going to destroy the church. We're always worried about changes we see in our country or changes we see in the world. And we see the way darkness and all these things that are happening around us. And we say, we have to fight against these things because it's going to destroy the church. It's going to destroy the gospel. But I want us to understand, I truly believe this, that the things that are around us are not the things that ultimately can destroy the church. What destroys the church happens normally within. When the conflict comes within, when the division becomes all-out war. I say all that because when we get to chapter 4, let's talk a little bit about what Paul is, is, is facing here. Paul, is start, he, he really starts getting extremely blunt. He's, he's been blunt, but he's, he really gets, uh, I think, heated. I think when Paul was writing chapter 4, he was, you know, he's probably breaking pencils. Give me another pencil. Like he was like just stress writing, right? Because he was just getting, you know, I don't think he was angry necessarily at them, but he was like, we're dealing with this. And so he starts getting really forceful in what he's saying to uh, the church here. And and let me just give you a little bit of of insight. We're going to go step by step through it a little bit. But let me just give you an overview just real fast of what's happening in this church in Corinth because of the divisions that are happening. So remember back in chapter 1, Paul said, listen... There should be no divisions in the church. Why are some of you saying, I'm with Peter? And some of you saying, I'm with Paul? And some of you are saying, I'm with Apollos? He's like, there should not be these divisions that are happening. 
And then he addresses it again in chapter 3. He's saying, listen, why are you guys uh, walking around like I'm team Paul? And why are you guys talking like I'm team Apollos? Why are you doing that? He's like, don't you understand that you have all of us? We're all here for you. And he continues that thought into chapter 4 where he's like, why are these divisions happening? Because here's the thing. The church was so fractured over these divisions that what we see in chapter 4 is that the people were actually warring against one another. There, there was so much of a breakdown in the church because people were choosing sides that what was happening was the people, right? When we get to chapter 4, the people in the church were actually challenging and judging the ministry of those that they didn't line up with. So what Paul is addressing is it's not just that somebody was saying, listen, Paul, you're a great guy. I like you, Paul. Um, but see, I, I just like Peter a little bit better. That's not what was happening. It would be the equivalent of someone coming to us and saying, listen, David, I appreciate when you, I, I like your preaching, but I, I like Matt. Like Matt, I just, I, 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 there's nothing wrong with like, that's not what they were saying. What they were saying was, listen, I like Peter. Peter, I, I'm on board with Peter. He, I'm team Peter. And you know what, Paul? <laughs> um, you shouldn't even be an apostle. Like you suck. Like you're, you're horrible. Like, you shouldn't even be in the ministry, Paul. You're, you're so weak, and you're so horrible. Like, we don't like you. We want nothing to do with you. We reject you. We don't even want to hear from you. We don't want anything to do with you. They were judging the most. Like, like, Paul, you're just controlling. You're just trying to tell us what to do. We don't need you. We don't want you. Now picture this just for a moment. They were saying this about Paul. We're 2,000 years removed, right? We as Christians today, we look back at Paul and we're like, man, he's like the super saint. Like Paul's the man. Like he wrote most of the New Testament. We look back at Paul like, man, I would have loved to have been under Paul's teaching. I would have loved to, you know, here's the deal. It's hard for us to picture this. We look at Paul and we hold him up here. What Paul is saying is, listen, Christians, Corinth, the church, you guys are treating me like I'm a dog. That's what Paul's saying. Like, you're treating me like I'm worthless because of the divisions that are happening in the church. I mean, there was a complete rejection of his ministry and who he was. Not only that, these fractions were actually becoming, the people were acting superior to one another. Like, people were saying, listen, you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm T. Peter. You're team Par, Paul. You're worthless too. If, if you listen to Paul... You're worthless. They were acting spiritually superior to one another and they were exalting their spiritual position. They were assuming that they were better off than everybody else. If you don't agree with us, then your spirituality, your Christianity is suspect. And we're going to judge you and we're going to treat you like you should just be outcast too if you follow these other, if you even think these people are worth anything. See, the people, also what Paul's addressing is the people were so full of arrogance and they were so prideful in their attitudes in this church that they were actually rejecting the authority of the spiritual leaders that God had put over them. They were basically saying, listen, we're not, again, like I said, we're not going to listen to you. We don't, we don't accept you. We're unwilling to be submissive to you. And Paul is addressing that. Paul is, he's, he's like, enough is enough. We're going to deal with this. 
He's like, because listen, church, he's like, listen, this church in Corinth, he's like, you're not just divided, you're warring against each other, and because you're warring against each other, guess what? If you don't wake up, if you don't pay attention, if you don't change, you're in danger of being destroyed. Not just as a church, but as individuals as well. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to process through four things that I think Paul it's Paul's response. We're going to look at four aspects of Paul's response in this chapter. But we're doing them uh, for uh, a couple of reasons. One, we want to see how Paul, you know, reacted to this, and we want to see how Paul addressed these things. But two, uh, we collectively as Christians, as part of Blessed Hope Community Church, those that are on mission together, those that are unified together, those that have come together and been gathered together by God, I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that I'm actively living in such a way that I'm protecting myself and I'm protecting the church that keeps us from falling into the temptation of fighting one another. Right? Like, what, are, what does Paul say that we can apply to our lives that helps protect us so that we don't fall into the trap of warring with one another? Even when disagreements come, even when we see things from a different perspective, even when choices are made that maybe we don't necessarily agree with. If I don't agree with it or I don't see it the same way, what are things that I can do to protect my heart so that I don't fall into the trap of warring with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? And bringing danger to my own life and my own faith, but also bringing division and, fr- and fr- fracturing the church. So that's what we're going to look at, is these four responses of Paul and applying it to us. So first one is this. Uh, Paul uh, challenges the church, and the first thing he calls us to is he says, listen, be faithful. He says, what, what, are, what are four things that we do? The first one, be faithful. And, and if you look at Scripture... Uh, and again, I'm not going to look at the entirety of, of what he says, but the first thing Paul starts talking about is he says, listen, uh, we're going to talk about Apollos, we're going to talk about me, we're going to talk about Peter. He's like, listen, we're all yours, and as servants or as apostles, this is how you need to regard us. That's what he says right off the bat in, in chapter one, uh, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, this is how you need to regard us. He says, regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. He says, moreover, it is required of a steward to be found faithful. So let's kind of walk through this and, and what Paul is saying when he says, regard us in this way. Let's, let's clarify and define this. The first thing is this. When Paul says, regard us as servants of Christ, he, he's challenging this idea that these people were walking around with this arrogant attitude where they were exalting leaders that they wanted to follow to a position that Paul says, stop doing that. Stop exalting who, who you think is better than the others. Stop exalting us to a level that, and putting these people on pedestals that they shouldn't be on. And, and what, he, what he says here is he says, listen, we're servants of Christ. And, and let me define this for you. This, this word that Paul uses as servant, the, the literal uh, uh, defining of it, translation of it, would actually be uh, under rower. That, that would be a literal translation of this word servant, being an under rower. And let me explain what this is. Picture this, anybody that's ever seen these before in movies or whatnot, but ships back then would have uh, oars that would go out from the side, and the way they would move was you had people underneath, under the, on the ship, in the lowest part of the ship, that were rowers to move the ship forward. When Paul says, I and the other apostles, the other leaders are just under rowers, 
He is basically saying, listen guys, I am just a servant of Christ that's under, like I'm at the bottom of the boat and, and, and I'm just a rower. And, and what he's ultimately saying, he's like, listen, I'm not the master of the ship. He's like, I'm not the, the captain of the ship. I'm not the pilot of the ship. I'm not the owner of the ship. Paul's like, I am just a servant that is at the bottom of all of this who is being faithful to serving the captain and moving his ship forward. He's like, that's all I am. Don't make me out to be more than that. Don't make anybody else out to be more than that. All we are are servants of Christ that are faithfully serving to help move his church forward. That's it. Paul's like, it's not about me. It's never been about me. It never will be about me. It's all about Jesus. He's the captain. Jesus is the one in charge. Jesus is the one that's directing the ship. Jesus is the one telling us where to go. One commentator actually said it this way. He says, an under rower is one who acts under the direction of someone else and asks no questions. It's someone who does the thing he is appointed to do without hesitation and one who reports only to the one who is over him. Paul was basically saying, listen, I'm not in charge of the church. He's like, I've never been in charge of the church. I'm just the servant of the captain. That's all I do. And what this means to us as Christians, we all need to take the same attitude. Our attitude, Paul is challenging us. This isn't just a, a position Paul took. We as Christians, every single one of us, need to have the commitment to be under rowers. Meaning, I'm just a servant of the captain. It's not about me. It's not about my wants. It's not about my desires. It's not about my preferences. It's not about any of that stuff. I go where Jesus leads me. Remember, core value number one of Blessed Hope Community Church. We are running to keep up with Jesus. He is the captain of the ship. And we are simply servants, faithful to him, in helping move that ship forward. This is what Paul is saying. But he goes on, he says, listen, not just am I a servant of Christ, he says I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. And so if you think about a steward, a steward at this time was someone, this was again a servant or a slave of the master. And a steward was somebody that not just served the master, but a steward was someone that was given responsibility. They were put in charge of the household. Basically, this would be the equivalent of the master saying, listen, I am putting you in charge of, of this area of my house and you are responsible for it. Or I am putting you in charge of all of the house and you are responsible for it. And you are, you are to oversee it. You are to steward it. It belongs to the master. Right? A steward owns nothing. A steward has no personal say. But they are faithful to do the will of the master who has put them over it. Now, here's the thing. We are called to all have that attitude that we are servants of Christ that are under rowers, under his lead. But yet he has also given to each one of us responsibilities. 
To each and every one of us, God has given you something and made you a steward of something. Some of us, he has given the responsibility to be pastors and leaders in the church on a higher level. When I say higher, I'm not saying like all important. I'm just saying he's given some to that responsibility. But here's the thing. He's given each and every person that is a Christian talents and giftings and ministry. He has given all of us something to be stewards over in his house. And what Paul is saying is, I am just a servant who is being faithful to the responsibilities the master has given to me. That's it. He's like, don't put me on some level other than that. That is all I am. That is all any of us are. So again, it comes back to the core understanding. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about my agenda. It's about him. Let's go back again. Blessed Hope Community Church. Core value number five. We will not get in his way. Because he is the master. He is the captain. He is the owner. He is the pilot. He is directing where we go. And we submit together with one voice. We are yet just servants and stewards of that which you have given to us. Do we understand? I hope we understand that if we, if we embrace this first thing that Paul is saying, that when disagreements come and opposition comes, and when we have different points of view, we can still show grace and love and mercy to one another because we can look at each other and say, you know what? At the end of the day, at the end of all of this, it's not about me. If my Jesus is glorified and his church moves forward, praise God, it doesn't matter if I get the way I think it needs to happen. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's like, it's not about me. Paul's saying, it's not about even you. It's about the master. It's about Jesus. So he's saying we have to be faithful. That's what, and notice what he says here. He's like, listen, moreover, it's required of a steward to be found faithful. It's not a matter of, of if you're better and you do things better than anybody else. It doesn't matter if I'm the best preacher. It doesn't matter if I'm the best at leading worship. It doesn't matter if I'm the best teacher. It doesn't matter. Those things are the things that we focus so much on. But Paul's saying, listen, first and foremost, this is the most important thing. Are we faithful to the calling that God has put on us? See, a lot of people were judging Paul, saying, well, we don't like the way you do it, Paul. And Paul's like, that doesn't matter. Am I faithful? Am I faithful? If I'm faithful, then I'm doing what God has called me to do. That's first and foremost. He goes on, and he's like, listen, not only be faithful, but then he encourages, we need to be focused. So the next thing Paul goes into is, and I I love this, because Paul, you know, he he talks about being faithful. And and then he starts getting a little kind of, this is where I think Paul's getting a little like maybe frustrated in his writing. He's like, listen, you're going to understand what I'm saying. Because he goes on, he says, listen, um, all I needed to be is faithful. In verse 3, he says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. And he goes on, he says, it is the Lord who judges me. So what Paul's saying here is like, listen, once you understand your position, once we understand or are faithful to being a servant and to being a steward for Jesus Christ, we need to stay focused on that. And the way we stay focused on that is Paul saying, listen, I don't care what you think about me. See, he had all these people in the Corinth church that were talking against him and they were talking out about him and they were, they were spreading rumors about him and they were coming against him and fighting against him even while he wasn't there. And Paul's basically saying, hey, you guys think you're hurting me? I could care less what you think about me. Paul's like, I could really care less what you think about me. 
Paul's like, I don't, I don't even care what anybody says about me. And he goes on, he's like, I don't even judge myself. Because Paul understands that sometimes the worst critic in our lives is not the people around us, it's actually us criticizing ourselves. Paul's like, listen, I'm not even going to judge me. Because here's the thing, I know who my judge is, and he says, my judge is Jesus. He says, the only person that has the right to judge me is Jesus. See, these people in the church were judging Paul's motives, and they were judging Paul's actions, and they were judging Paul's uh, calling, and they were judging him as a person, and they were judging his faith. And Paul's like, listen, I don't have to prove myself to you. I don't have to prove myself or my ministry to you. I don't have to prove my calling to you. I don't have to prove any of that stuff to you. There's going to come a day when I'm going to stand before Jesus, and Jesus is going to lay it all out. He's like, then Jesus will judge my motives and Jesus will judge my heart. And in the same way, he's basically challenging him because go back to chapter three, he's saying, listen, instead of spending all your time worrying about me, maybe you better spend some time worrying about you because you're going to stand before Jesus too. And your heart is going to be laid out before Jesus. I'm going to be judged as a servant of Jesus. I'm going to be judged as that steward of Jesus. But so are you, is what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, I'm not going to jump through the hoops to try to please you. See, sometimes we fall into that trap, right? I'm jumping through the hoops to try to please other people. Can anybody relate to this, how tiring it is to try to please everybody? Try to live up to everybody else's expectations? And then sometimes we try to live up to our own expectations. We judge ourselves. I've done this many times in my ministry and in my life. I always see myself. I've wrestled so many times in my ministry with judging myself to say, David, you're not able to, you're not qualified to do this. You're not equipped to do this. You're not good enough to do this. Comparing, comparing myself to other people saying, man, look at what they do. You can't live up to that. And in all those things, that's when Jesus says, would you knock it off? It doesn't matter what you think, David. And David, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. All that matters is what I think. And your number one priority, David, is to live to please me. That's it. If you live to please me, everything else will take care of itself. That's it, David. Don't live up to their expectations. You live up to my expectations. Don't live up to what they think you should be doing. You need to live up to what I think you should be doing. And this is what Paul is saying. You know, Paul actually said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, I mean, it's a great verse if you've never seen it before or heard it, or you want to write it down in Galatians 1, 10, because he says this. He's like, listen, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Galatians 1, 10, he's telling the church, he's like, listen, I don't exist to please anyone but Jesus. Because Paul understood that if you're on board with Jesus, you're going to be pleased. If you're not on board with Jesus, you're probably not going to be pleased. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter. As long as Jesus was pleased, that's all that mattered. So here's the deal. When we are faithful to our calling, we need to stay focused on our calling. And we need to build our lives knowing that there will come a day where Jesus will lay everything out and make it known. And he will show if our motives were true. And he will show if our work lives up to the standard in which he has called us. Doesn't matter what other people say about it as much as it does Jesus.
That leads us to the third thing. Then Paul kind of gets a little bit more forceful. He comes into this idea and he starts challenging us to be humble. All right. And this is actually verses 7 through 13 in chapter 4, where there's this big bulk of, of, of Paul talking about some stuff. And there's a lot of stuff in this passage that we could talk about, but I just do not. It would take a couple weeks to really go through everything Paul is saying here. Um, but it gets a, it gets a little... Um, f- Sometimes you read it and you're kind of like, well, what is Paul talking about? Like, what is he trying to say? Let me just say this. This passage of Scripture is a part of Scripture that I really can relate to Paul about. And here's why. Um, Paul starts being a little sarcastic, right? Um, anybody that's sarcastic, you can start seeing this when you read it this way. Because Paul's getting a little forceful. He's like, listen, I've put up with your, your he's like, I've put up with you long enough. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to course correct this. In fact, if you look at what it says that I have up there, he's basically saying, uh, I'm going to do this because I'm going to burst your bubble. Right? He's like, you're arrogant and you're prideful and you're fighting against each other and you're making it about yourself. And he's like, enough is enough. And you got this big head, basically what he's saying, your head's getting too big and I'm going to pop it. And so he's like, he starts using a little sarcasm and he starts coming at them with some stuff. So here's the thing. Like I said, Paul knew that they were prideful, they were arrogant, and they were self-conceited. There was this attitude that it was in this church, and it had taken a hold of them. And Paul is fearful for the church because he loves them, and he doesn't want to see them destroyed. And he sees the fighting that's happening, and he's like, enough is enough. So he starts directly challenging the people that are causing these divisions. See, one of the things that we have to understand with this is that these divisions weren't just happening naturally. There were people that were driving them. There were people that were, that were purposefully going and, and speaking out against Paul because they wanted to cause problems. There were people that were causing these divisions, leaders of it. And Paul is going to start addressing them directly without calling them out by name. And he does that by, by asking three questions. Okay, so if you look at this, uh, he starts by asking three questions, and it's this in verse 7. He says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So let me, I'm going to ask these questions in a way that makes more sense to my language. If you look at the language that Paul used, what he was basically saying. The first question Paul is asking is simply this. He's saying, what makes you so superior over me? You remember, he started by saying, listen, I'm just a servant of Christ. Right? I'm just a steward that's been given this by God. He's like, listen, I'm just, I'm just following Jesus. He's basically saying, okay, for those of you that are against me, for those of you that are fighting against me, he's saying, what makes you superior over me? Basically, he's challenging them. The language here is actually he's challenging, challenging him to say, what makes the condition of your life better than my life? What he's saying is, prove your work. See, they were speaking out against him, and they were acting like they were superior, and they were acting like Paul was way down here, but they were way up there, way up here. And Paul's like, all right, if that's true, prove your work. Give the evidence. What gives you the right to make these claims against me? And what gives you the right to elevate yourself to such a level? That's what Paul's saying. Prove it. Prove your work. And then he goes on and he says, okay, so the second question is, all right, prove your work. And he says, okay, so what beyond God's grace 
do you have? Like, what do you have in you that's more than what God has given me? Because Paul's like, listen, all I got is God's grace. All I got is Jesus. That's where Paul's coming from. He's like, all I have is Jesus. What do you have? If you're superior than me, he's basically handing them the answer in the sense of, okay, if you have an answer, tell me what you have that's more than Jesus. Because that's all I got. Paul's like, all I have is him. What do you have that's more than Jesus? So he's kind of challenged, like, what do you have that's more superior? Okay, let me help you out. What do you have that's more than Jesus? And then basically he's like, the third question is, he's basically summing it up for him. He's like, you don't have anything more than Jesus. And the only reason you have Jesus, the only reason you have grace is because God has given it to you. So his third question is basically like, okay, well, if you don't have anything more than Jesus, then why are you acting like you're better than everyone else? I mean, he's basically summing up the whole argument in three questions. He's like, okay, what makes you better than me? Okay, you don't know? Okay, so then tell me what you have that's more than Jesus. Oh, you don't have anything more than Jesus. Then why do you act like you're better than everyone else? If we're all on the same level and all we have is Jesus, then why are you acting the way you're acting? Why are you acting arrogant and prideful? And why do you act like you're better? Why do you act like your opinion is more important than everybody else's? Why do you act like you know better than everyone else? Why do you act like your faith is so much better than everyone else? And he starts going through this list of things where he starts, again, he starts getting sarcastic with them. He starts saying things like, man, you guys have all you need, but yet us apostles, we go hungry and thirsty. He's like, you have become rich, but we're in rags. He's like, you have become kings, but yet us apostles are, are brutally treated and we're homeless and we have to work. He's like, you're so wise in Christ, but we're just fools in Christ. You're so strong, but we're so weak. He's like, you are honored, yet we're despised. He's like, Paul's doing this comparison. He's like, man, look at how awesome you guys are. That's what I'm saying. He's being sarcastic. He's like, look how awesome you guys are. And he's like, but you're really not that awesome. In fact, he's like, you're not awesome at all. And any awesomeness that you do have is not because of you. It's because of Jesus. <laughs> and so he's doing this comparison here because they've been coming out. So here's the things that Paul's addressing with them, what he's coming against them. And just to go through them so we understand this in kind of the underlying stuff. The first thing Paul is combating in them is he's telling them, stop boasting in yourself. See, what was happening is these people in their arrogance and their pride in their faith and in, in the position that they held, they were acting like it was all about them and it wasn't about Jesus. They were, they were saying, look at us. Look how amazing we are. Look, look how great we are. Look at the gifts that we have. Look how blessed we are. It's all about it. Look at us. And then what they were doing on the flip side is like, look at Paul. Like, Paul's worthless. Like, nobody likes Paul. Like, people mistreat Paul. Paul's in prison. Like, obviously, God doesn't, God's not for Paul. If God was for Paul, he'd be treating, Paul would be like us. Paul would be blessed like us. Paul would be wise like us. Paul gave everything up. Why be like Paul? Who wants to be like Paul, is what they're saying. Paul said this, actually, to the church in Galatia. He said, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul's like, listen, I don't have time to boast about anything else but Jesus. So he's basically telling the church, he's like, quit walking around thinking you're so awesome. Quit, quit boasting about you. Quit making it about you. It's not about us. It's, remember, we're just the servants. We're the under rowers. 
We shouldn't even be noticed because we're just the ones that he's using to move the ship forward. We're building what he's telling us to build. It's not about us. It's all about him. The second thing that Paul's challenging them with here is he's, he's telling them, stop not just boasting in yourself. He's saying, stop prioritizing yourself. See, it wasn't just that they were boasting about how awesome they were. They thought Christianity, they thought their faith was all about their comfort. It was all about blessing them. It was all about giving them the best life possible. Right? It was all about if, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, then my life better be roses and rainbows. Throw in a unicorn every once in a while. That's what my life should be. See, they didn't want to suffer the way the apostles were suffering. They looked at the apostles and they saw the ways that they were suffering for the gospel and suffering for Jesus. And they were saying, listen, we want all the benefits of Christianity, but we don't want that. And this is where a lot of our fighting happens. If you want to be really blunt about it, if we really want to understand this and and really get honest with ourselves, a lot of times the fighting that happens in the church is we're usually fighting for our own comfort and preferences. Make it the way I want it to be so that it's the most comfortable and enjoyable for me. I don't like that decision because that puts me out of my comfort zone. And all of a sudden, we start fighting with one another because I'm the same way. I don't like the idea of leaving my comfort zone because it's uncomfortable. And isn't that kind of the American dream to be comfortable? (laughs) I mean, I don't see anybody designing their house with uncomfortable furniture, right? I want to be comfortable. And that's what we seek. In fact, what Paul says to the church in Corinth kind of sounds really close to what Jesus said to the church in Revelation. Jesus said this, I say, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is the same thing Paul's saying to the church in Corinth. He's like, you are rejoicing in what you think you have, but you don't have what you think you have. You've deceived yourselves. You've been deceived into chasing after the wrong things. The last thing that Paul is hitting on in this passage is he's telling them also, stop commending yourself. And what I mean by commending themselves is basically these people were walking around and they were actually saying, listen, don't listen to Paul. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. I know how to lead the church better than Paul. You know, I, I said this uh, when I was thinking about this one. I'm looking forward to the day. I'm, I'm sure my kids are watching, or at least they're pretending they're watching while they're just sitting there zoned out at home. But I'm looking forward to the day that both of my girls reach the age where they're going to know more than me. My oldest is 10. I think that'll probably happen here close to about 11, 12, right? We all know the teenager attitude. I know more than you. I know the world. I understand how things work, Right? You, you don't know what you're talking about, mom and dad. It's not like you know anything. <laughs> we all know the foolishness of that. But that's what the church was basically saying to Paul. They were basically saying, Paul, we know better than you. We know the gospel better than you, Paul. We know how to lead the church better than you. We're better. We, we don't need you, Paul. We don't need the apostles. We don't need leadership. We just need us because we're better than you. We know more than you. And Paul's like, listen, I have given everything up for the gospel. What does it cost you? Is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I've given everything up for Jesus. What have you given up? 
And he's not saying it to say, oh, feel bad for me. Paul is actually saying the complete opposite. Paul is like, I am rejoicing because I've given everything up for Jesus. What have you given up? How have you suffered for Jesus? How have you uh, been uncomfortable for Jesus? How have you been mistreated by Jesus? See, with the language Paul uses here is he's saying, listen, we're like the men at the end of the parade when they're marching the slaves through the city, heading to the arena. He's like, the apostles, we're like the last ones. We're the worthless slaves at the end of the parade. We're like the men that are going to be thrown to the lions. That's who we are. And he wasn't saying that to say, oh, how horrible for us. He's saying we hold that position with honor. That we suffer for Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in that passage, and he ends it, and he says, we are literally the scum of the world. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, it's not about us. We have willfully and joyfully taking the badge of honor to be the scum of the world. And he's saying, you're saying you know better than me on what it means to follow Jesus? That's what Paul's saying. He's like, show your work, right? Show your work. He's like, you guys are like the guys, let me just, it's, it's Super Bowl Sunday. It's, it's the same thing I, I thought about this. It's the same thing with anybody that watches football. You know something that I find interesting of anybody that watches sports? I love people that watch sports and get really into it. Because I love the guy that sits on their couch at home, but they know how to coach the team better than the coach that's actually with the team. You, you ever know that guy? You know who I'm talking about, right? They, they're... I know all the stupid decisions that man just made. In fact, the guy I really love, or the person I really love, is the one that they even know how to be like the better quarterback. Like, something happens like, that stupid idiot, if I would have been there, I would have done It's really easy to say that from the comfort of your home, from your couch, right? That, that's what these people are doing towards Paul. They're basically sitting on their couch, and they're looking at Paul, and they're looking at the way Paul's suffering, and they're looking at what's happening, they're like, we know better than Paul, but yet we're not in the game. And what Paul's basically saying to them in a very loving, Christ-like way, shut your mouth. He's like, it don't work that way. He's like, I have given up everything for Jesus. What have you? Notice just a couple of scriptures real fast to just kind of bring this home to understand this. Christian, understand this. Philippians says, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Right? Are we ready to share in Christ's you will be uh, hated by all for my namesake. Paul goes on to say, all who desire to have a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Christian, that's what we're called to. If you thought Christianity was going to be, again, rainbows and roses, and there wasn't going to be hardships, you signed up for the wrong faith. And, and before we move on to the last one, I just want to say this. So hear me, all of us. This is something I have to tell myself. Please understand this is not a political statement, so don't make it a political statement. It's a biblical statement, right? I'm not saying this because of what's happening in our nation, whether you're for it or against it. That's not why I'm saying this. But what I want, what I want you to understand is this. Persecution is coming. And it's not coming because of political reasons. It's coming because Jesus said, the closer it gets to my return, the worse it's going to get. Every minute that passes that brings us closer to the moment Jesus returns to this world, he said, it's going to get worse. And persecution is going to come. We in America better wake up to that because we act like how horrible it is to think that we would ever have to face persecution. But hear me, we are not exempt. You and I will face persecution. 
And if not us, one of the things that I tell myself on a regular basis, if not me, my children are going to face more than what I have to face. And I only say that not to make us go, oh my goodness, I don't want to. What I'm saying that for is because the enemy wants us to waste our time fighting with each other and not being able and ready to stand when persecution comes. Because we will never stand under persecution on our own. God has given us one another. He's given us the church. Fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and the enemy wants to destroy the unity that God is building among us. And we have to understand that. Here's the last one and then we're done. It's the call to be tender. How do we combat against fighting against one another? Well, we do all these things that we just talked about and the last one is we need to be tender. Paul says this, he says, listen, I'm not writing these things to make you ashamed. He says, I'm doing it to admonish you as my beloved children. He's saying, listen, I'm not doing this because I'm, I'm hateful of you. I'm doing this because I love you and I'm warning you. He's like, because I don't want to see you destroyed. He says, I want to see you glorify Jesus and not be destroyed. But to do that, we have to be tenderhearted towards one another. We have to be tenderhearted towards the leading of the Holy Spirit. One of the things Paul says in this last passage of, of, the, of the chapter is he's talking about, he says, listen, you guys, you guys can have as many guides to Jesus as you possibly can. He's like, it's fine to have different people that you listen to and different people that you learn from. That's why we're called the, the church. We, we learn from one another. You can, watch, uh, you can watch all the preachers on TV that you want. You can watch as many, or listen to as many podcasts. Do all of that stuff. Feed off other people. He's like, but listen, you can do all that you want but you only have one spiritual father. And what I want us to understand and relate to this is simply this. Listen, we live in a world where you and I can gain knowledge and and seek after knowledge of Scripture from a thousand different places. But we only have one local church. Right? We only have one local body that God has put us as part of, and that's this. So what Paul is saying is like, listen, don't forsake the unity of where God has placed you because you're comparing everything that happens here to all this other stuff you're listening to out here. He's like, yeah, listen to as many people as you want and learn, but you only have one local body to be part of. And that's where unity needs to be. And that's where service and love needs to be. And you need to be tender to one another. And Paul ends this chapter by putting the ball in their court. And he simply says this. He says, listen, I'm coming I'm coming someday. Like, I'm going to come visit. Daddy's coming home is basically what he's saying. I'm coming home. Y'all know what I understand, what I'm saying about that. You live in a house where you ever did anything bad and your mom said, just wait till your dad gets home. Right? That's what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, I'm coming. You choose how I come. He says, I can either come with gentleness or I can come with a rod. But what he's saying is, no matter what, this is going to be dealt with. He's like, we're not sweeping this under the rug. We're not going to pretend like it didn't happen. It's going to be dealt with. And here's what I mean as we, as we leave this and we, and we move on and as we pray, here's where I'm, I'm challenging myself and all of us. This is how we be tender to the leading of Jesus Christ. We collectively together commit to one another to stand against divisions in our church. Meaning, when you hear someone spreading division, be like Paul and say, oh, hold on. 
gently, I'm asking you, don't do that. And if they continue, say, don't make me bring out the rod. Like, we're going to shut this down no matter what. We're not doing this. If you hear people wanting to fight against one another and question and judge one another, be quick to shut it down. Be quick to be tenderhearted before Jesus and say, no, we're not going to spread division in the church. That doesn't mean we don't address the things that need to be addressed, but we address them in the open with the people that need to be addressed too. Not in secret, not in the privacy of our own homes where we can gather around the people to see it the way we see it. We speak it out in the open so we can deal with the things that need to be dealt with because we're not going to tolerate division. The other ways that we are tender to Christ's leading is simply this. We need to commit to to collectively together. Let's extend grace to one another, meaning there's going to be times that things happen that I don't agree with or I don't think is right or I don't think it best fits. There's going to be times that I'm just not, but you know what? Extend grace. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about us. How about this? Some of us might need to extend forgiveness. Maybe maybe there's some division even in your heart towards somebody in the church right now. Maybe you have some forgiveness that you need to extend to a brother or a sister. Maybe not even in this church. It could be from a church from 30 years ago and you're still harboring it. Extend that forgiveness. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness from somebody that you've caused division. Say, hey, I need to seek forgiveness from you for what I... I need to be tender-hearted before God. We need to be tender-hearted by being devoted to one another. Don't fight against each other. Let's fight for each other. Let's be devoted to one another. And simply this, here's the last one. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you've been actively engaged in causing division. Maybe you have been actively engaged in fighting against somebody else in the church. Maybe that's something that you have done, maybe not out in public, but maybe just in your own home. Maybe it's that tendency, right, of getting in the car or getting, going home and just even you and your wife or, or around your, whatever it is, and all of a sudden you find yourself just lashing out and speaking out and just sowing seeds of division. Maybe we need to do some repenting of that and saying, Lord, I didn't mean to do that. Maybe you did, and he's like, Lord, I need to acknowledge that, but man, I'm repenting of that. Anyways, we need to be tender towards one another. Let's pray. Gracious God, just praise you for this day and and just the many blessings that you really have bestowed upon us. And and I pray for myself and anybody else that echoes the same prayer. Lord, I need to be reminded constantly and always that none of this is because of me. None of this is, I have, nothing is because of me. It's all by your grace. It's all by your divine authority and your sovereignty. It's by the blessings of your hand. And Lord, when we understand that, it puts us in a position of submission to you because we understand we are just simply servants. We're under rowers. You're the captain. We rely on you. Not just in church, but in every aspect of life. You are the captain. You are the pilot. You are the master that we are serving joyfully. Lord, as our, again, our core value, we just have ridiculous joy as we chase after you. Lord, I pray protection upon us as a church. I pray for that you, that you just bestow upon us that Holy Spirit power of being tender with one another and focused on you and being faithful and being humble, that we fight for one another as we glorify you, as we do your work in this church and in this community. We give you praise and all of it. In your precious name, amen.